As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. guy for almost 30 years we just had our 25th year reunion at west point uh this past year we got to run into each other again which is always awesome but uh, without further ado i'll introduce you to dan robinson and we will talk about how he kind of got to where he's where he is today and what he's doing but without further ado dan give us a little bit of your background if you don't mind thanks yeah thanks rob uh you know no relation it's, uh, nobody knows we, we both were classmates so we sat next to each other for pretty much four years. Um, but yeah, I, I kind of, I think I have a unique background. I, you know, I, I grew up, my dad was a foreign area officer in the army. So I came from, my grandfather was a warrant officer four before they had fives and got out after 35 years. And like my dad was in about 24 and I lived in, uh, Germany. I've, I counted it once. I think it's been like seven or eight countries at this point. Um, uh, I grew up, Kind of, I grew up in Germany. Um, my dad's mom was off the boat German. Um, and then he became a foreign area officer in the army as a field artillery guy. And then went into, I was in fifth and sixth grade in Pakistan. So we lived on the border in the eighties, right across from the, right across the, we, we saw red tanks across the border. You go to lookouts on the, on the border there with Pakistan and Afghanistan. So, um, I had some interesting conversations when I was at West Point with guys that later would be in Afghanistan. So, um, kind of, and then my went back to Oklahoma, kind of claimed that area because I, uh, I grew up, uh, mainly there outside of Fort Sill, um, through about six years, five years there, um, through 11th grade. And then, uh, senior year of high school, my dad became the defense attaché for, in Dhaka, Bangladesh. So I got 
everybody that argues with me, Rob, that says they, you know, they don't want to move their kids in high school. Um, I would say my empathy is not as high. (laughs) 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 Makes it kind of tough. So moved to a third world country your senior year of high school. So yeah. And then I went into the, it actually helped me, got me into, I got into the Merchant Marine Academy in West Point. That was a tough decision, honestly. Uh, I ended up going to West Point and my dad's a grad. So I guess that kind of influenced me a little bit. I was a field artillery officer for about six years. And, um, Eventually got out and, you know, it was, it was interesting. I, I still miss the military. There's a lot of stuff you miss when you transition out, you know, and it's tough when you see guys not coming back that were good friends of yours, you know, but uh, you kind of feel guilty. I don't know why, but <laughs> you do, you know, so, but that was my, my growing up years, Rob. Um, yeah. Then I kind of, you know, I think, interesting uh, life, I guess. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, well, one of the things that I'll, I'll mention to you and, and, and I was a military brat as well. So a lot of people don't understand that lifestyle. And yeah. I would say a good third to probably half of our classmates did not have that bouncing around from state to state or country yeah. to country before entering West Point. And so yeah. sometimes going to West Point is the most illuminating experience that they have up until that point. But it doesn't make, yeah. you know, it is what it is. It's not right or wrong. It's just kind of the way. It's that a good mix, have. right? You know, you get prior service guys, you get guys like us, you get guys that dads are plumbers, you know what I mean? So. Yeah, and I think I think there's some merit to that because you have to kind of experience, you know, through closeness, uh, other people's lives that you may not normally have uh, encountered, you know, on a day-to-day basis. So yeah. I that's a that's a good thing to happen. But, yeah. uh, so you said you did six years, so, you know. Uh, why did you transition out of the military? Did you just see your <laughs> pastures? Was it like, hey, I'm fed up with this stuff? I just want. It was really out. weird. And my my I you know I, around year two or three they had you know we were in the Clinton era there and they were basically remember they had the two year and out yeah type thing. I I was a field artillery guy. I loved mech, but I was light my first assignment. Didn't really like it too much. I was kind of you know iffy. Um, and then I went to Korea on a first attempt Korea program, and I made met probably the best commander I ever had, uh, Colonel Robards. Um, he was a drafted airborne tanker. I think he was the last one. Like he was older than all the generals. <laughs> like my battalion commander, you know, and a uh, prior service guy. And I made a promise to him after he promoted me that I'd stay in through command, and I did. And I got actually I got pretty lucky. I got. Uh, chosen for the armor advanced course, which was cool. You know, being an FA guy, I didn't know anything about you know, how thick millimeter stuff had to be, you know, that kind of, so it was really interesting. And then I got picked for a bunch of courses. I did the, the, um, the firepower, the advanced fire control course, I think it was called advanced firepower control course out in Nellis air force base in Vegas, man, that was a oh, great wow. two weeks TDY. The problem was that I came back and I had had an agreement that I would, you know, I figured, hey, they sent me in all this fire direction stuff. I'd definitely go to a, you know, MTO unit back, you know, what we call MTO units. Uh, you know, I'll be in some support unit somewhere in Colorado or I get a call. There's a new branch chief for field artillery, doesn't know me from Adam and tells me that the last FA class just graduated before me. And they gave away all the slots. So all there was was Fort Sill. Oh, wow. And if if you're not FA, Fort Sill, I, God bless them. I love like. The, the general support guys at the time. Um, but I, I got there and I get a call on leave. And it's, uh, you know, it's blah. Hey, this is Lieutenant Colonel. So I didn't catch the name. You know, I figured, oh, he goes, we need you to take command early. And I was like, 
man, you know, as a new captain, you're like, oh, man, this is great. I don't have to wait. You know? so, and then he says, you're going to be taking over Echo. But I was like, Echo? What, wait, which battalion? And it was a basic training battalion. And man, I just, it, it just crushed me. You're dealing, it was like babysitting the best NCOs in the army. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I just, I just thought the only career I had, if I did well here, and we had a series of big commanders that were challenging, let's say, um, and wouldn't let you go over an MTO unit. You know, you couldn't get another command. So the only thing you'd probably get qualified for is another battalion command. Unit. And I was like, yeah, this that's it. So I applied to a grad school in Australia. And because uh, I figured if I'm getting out, man, blowing up stuff for a living, not real translatable <laughs> you know what I mean? so, yeah. in the civilian world. So I, I I signed up for an MBA in Australia, went over there, loved it. man. I went to the Melbourne Business School down in Melbourne and uh, loved it. I mean, it was it was great. I just, you know, it got to where the Army dartboard didn't really treat me well you know so not that i'm complaining i mean it was it's funny when you get out the the stories that people want to hear most of your basic training stories they don't care about you know <laughs> units and you know you could fascinate anybody with stuff that happened in basic training units you know but yeah, uh, well that's yeah. a that, that's a unique that's a unique penance for any officer to have to, to participate in because i you know i commanded a basic training company and you know the upside for me though was it was kind of a it was kind of a handshake deal that the schoolhouse had yeah. with uh, the infantry training brigade and it's like yeah. hey look we'll we'll send you over a couple first lieutenants they'll do 10 or 11 months and not get branch qualified they'll come to the advanced course and then they'll yeah. have to move on to a regular MTO unit so it wasn't yeah. like your situation yeah. where it was like hey you're locked in this is going to be your KD job and they, what they're calling and, it now you know? yeah and they had a 12 and 12 program when i got there and which meant you'd go to an intel unit on the other side of the tracks. So there are a bunch of still that were general support. So like MLRS and Palm and stuff. And so they had that three months before I was supposed to go over. The new brigade commander came in and said he was, he was only going to let people he did a full, um, he could do a full eval. And at the time it was six months, you know? Yeah. And I said, sir, no one's going to give me a second command when I got 18 months, you know? And He's like, I don't care. This is our new policy. So I just turned my papers in. And it was funny because it was during, it was 03, which was the height of going into, we were the only ones not stop loss of all 13 series. So I was like, well, I can't stop loss me. (laughs) I'm like stuck in this situation. What am I going to do? Yeah. So I just said, forget it. I'll go, I'll get out, you know? And, you know, I figured I averaged out the rest of my family service at 20. You know, my grandfather did 35. Dad did 25. I was like, yeah, yeah, we all did 20, I guess, if I can yeah. borrow some of theirs. <laughs> so. Yeah, that makes sense. But the so. other piece of it is, is, and this is one of the things that uh, this hits on, on kind of both sides of the tracks, both in uniform yeah. and outside of the uniform, your leadership matters, right? Yeah, and I've 100%. Seen, you know, I've seen good leaders on the outside of business. I've seen bad leaders mm-hmm. on the outside of business. It's the same thing yeah. within, within the military. You know, the upside is when you're, out of the uniform, you don't like your boss. If you can find another opportunity that's going to yeah. be just as lucrative or advantaging, take off. Yep. You know, you owe yep. no one anything. Yep. It was like, when and that's a hard lesson to learn, right? Like, yeah. it took me a while to figure that out. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, because loyalty is like, guess what? When you look at army values, what's one of the first army values that they teach you? You know, it's loyalty. Mm-hmm. And, and usually what most people don't realize is loyalty is a two-ray street. But usually yep. it's only two-way street between the commander and the subordinate. It doesn't go from the subordinate to co- commander. Yeah. And it, 
it's supposed to, and sometimes yeah. it does, but like on that rare, on those rare uh, instances where it doesn't, it makes for a very uncomfortable time because I think a lot more people would have gotten out if they would have had the same situation as you did. You know, yeah, yeah. Hey, I'm presented with a boss that like only wants to take care of himself because I got to balance my, I got to balance yeah. my profile as a yep. senior raider. That's that's kind of garbage, and that's oh, a yeah. cop, and that's a cop out as a leader. Like if I and, heard and that, two of the. Two of the three guys in my the command, there are five commanders in there, and two of them that were kind of my year group. We, two other ones got out. One's an FBI agent, and then the other one is a uh, DSS agent who lives down here in Richmond. So he's retired now, but it's yeah, it's it's rough. And you know, the army, you get in a situation where you know there's no there's no uh, LinkedIn. You can go get another job, right? So you're kind of yeah. It is what it is. I, I have no regrets, honestly. I still have great friends in the Army. I learned a ton of stuff. Um, you you have instant camaraderie with a lot of people. Like my first job, just to kind of transition what I'm doing now, right? Yeah. I had a horrible manager, my first manager. And the two guys that saved me were the two – I had two Navy bosses in a row, retired I'm Navy sorry. vets. <laughs> So yeah, no. <laughs> I I shouldn't bad nothing, but no, two of them are they're still one of them I still, you know, I still have he's a big Notre Dame fan. I'm Oklahoma, so we are we BS a lot during football season. And um, but he um but they saved me, man, because I didn't know what to do. It, like, you know, you see why so many vets quit after you know, I think the stats are like the first year most veterans quit their first civilian job. Yeah. Yeah. I mean the and numbers the numbers are pretty pretty staggering. Yeah. Usually most people don't land until like their second, third, sometimes oh, yeah. even their fourth opportunity. And usually it's because the first one is like, Hey, I just need a job. The yeah. second one is like, I didn't really like what I was doing before, so I'm gonna try something different. Oh, yeah. And then the third one is kinda like where they kind of feel out, okay, like I can do this civilian thing you know, or the military yeah. thing. It doesn't matter. I think I'm comfortable. And that takes a year or two to get there. And, and it took me, it took me a couple of years. Luckily I was with the same firm because I got new managers, but I mean, it's, it's a tough transition. And I think a lot of guys don't think about what they're, I think the best decision I made honestly was going to get an MBA right after my service between my service and get my first job, because I think it reset my expectations to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, I learned a lot, but I think the biggest thing was, you know, hey, people don't show up to meetings all the time. You know what I mean? Like, hey, you know, these guys are not trustworthy. You know, this this guy will, you know, take anything off you if you give it. You know, it was kind of interesting. And then you kind of learn from their experience with their work, like how to get better at stuff and how to pick a job. You know, so it, it really helped me for those two years figuring out, you know, how the civilian world worked. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and I think, I, I think honestly, and that's one of the things that I try and encourage people to do is if you're, yeah. if you're looking to exit the military, start like having a two year plan. And the reason why I yeah. say that is because like the army is going to take the last six months with tap and medical appointments yeah. and VA stuff and everything else. But up until that point, that preparation is on you yeah. to get yourself ready yeah. to, to walk up, you know, walk the stage or, or, or transition out. And yeah. I think a lot of people think that they're just going to land easy. Like, Hey, look, yeah. I'm, you know, Sergeant first class, master sergeant, captain, major, lieutenant colonel, yeah. so-and-so the world is going to basically beg me to come work at their job because I'm awesome. And that's and, and then I think, I think a lot of them have issues afterwards, just not having the responsibility they had before. I see it a lot with them. Like they expect the same and it's the, it doesn't happen. Right. Like some of the things you have to learn pretty quick is, you know, 
it's just weird. You learn a lot of stuff in the military that will definitely help you, like show up on time, for instance. You know what I mean? But at the same time, you got to be careful. Like, I was the one thing I learned probably later than I should have is humility is not really rewarded in the civilian space a whole lot. You know what I mean? Yeah. And and so it's like weird. You're like, um, how are you going to? It took me a while to like talk about me, if that makes any sense. You know what I mean? Because I, I was terrible in my first interviews. I know I was because, I, you know, I try to talk about my unit or, you know, what I mean, yeah. or how well we did as a team. And it doesn't help. Like it, it does. It does while you're managing people. But when you're going for interviews and you're doing your resume, you really got to have some, you know, it took me years. And I finally paid somebody I knew that had been recommending me to do my resume. And I will tell people I. I so, Rob, one one thing I did love when I got out, so I, I do agile coaching now, right, which a lot of people may not know what it is, um, but I kind of lucked into it. My first job was a big consulting firm, and I, you know, my undergrad at West Point was systems engineering, yeah. and then I kind of, you know, it had a little computer science when we were in it there, and I did a few computer science classes myself. I, then I went and did, you know, my MBA, and I ended up looking like all the solutions were kind of IT based. This, you know, we kind of got lucky at our age, right? Yeah. We hit like right in the 2000s. We were getting jobs right in the beginning of 2000s and new computers. So I've run a couple of classes. We ran a program at one of the companies I was at to transition folks out of the military into, into the agile space. And if people don't know what it is, look up Donald Sutherland, Dr. Sutherland. He was a West Point grad, actually, an ex military guy who created all this agile stuff you'll hear a lot about. And I've actually had the pleasure of talking to him a couple of times. And I asked him, I said, how this stuff's basic leadership? You know, you just formalized it. And he goes, yeah. I was like, cause I mean, like we do a standup, they call it with a team. So you have a small team that does a standup. Yeah. It's just like you do with your NCOs, right? If you're a captain or if you're a platoon sergeant, what you do with your squad lead, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's and funny that, it's yeah. funny that you mentioned that because, again, I, I say this all the time, and, and I've yeah. mentioned this before on the show previously. It's like, yeah. look, basic leadership is basic leadership. So I can say, yep. hey, tell me a story about property accountability. Yours will be different from mine, but the lesson will still be the same. Hey, make sure you mm-hmm. account for your stuff. You know what I mean? And, like, that's one of the benefits that people that have well, served and, have. And the soft skills, right? Like, yeah. everybody thinks civilians think the Army is run, like, you know, like full metal jacket 24-7. You know what I mean? But yeah. If you're a new lieutenant or a captain and you've got an NCO that's been doing the same job for 35, you know, 20, 15 years, like you're not going to teach them anything on the specifics of that. But if you don't have the soft skills to kind of work with people, it's never going to work. Right. Like I, I'll give you an example. Now I've moved to where I coach entire enterprises. So I, we go through and reorganize IT departments for a lot of these big banks and firms. And 90 percent of his stuff I learned in the military, not. I, about 10% is a specialty, I know, because I've been doing it 15 years. But the 10%, like, I'll give you an example. I've seen civilian there, like, just chew out subordinates in a public meeting, you know, for something they did. And I'm like, look, that guy's just going to quit now. Like, yeah. you should have corrected him in private, praised him in public. And that's a basic, right, to the Army. Yeah. Now, there's certain times you do, like, you know, extreme example, you need to make an example of something. But you don't do that in day-to-day management and it's just stuff that people don't learn unless you're in that kind of little 
army, you know, crucible where, where yeah, you, well, they're testing stuff. Yeah. You know? Yeah. There's, there's a difference between individual counseling and a shotgun blast yeah. appropriate, and appropriate times for both. Right. And that's oh, yeah. the main thing is, is, you know, inherently deep down inside, you're like, Ooh, I'm yelling at this guy. I don't know if this is the right thing to do. Right? Yeah. And like, I can remember when I was a company commander, I, I used to use my XO, he was my sounding board. So it's like, Hey man, I just ripped that kid's face off. Is that all right? He's like, no, he deserved that shit, sir. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And so it was one yeah. of those kind of, it's the balancing act. And I, I guess that's yeah. really ultimately what it boils down to in leadership, whether that be in business or in the military is you can't be on 11 all the time. But you can't yeah. all, and you can't be on zero either, you know. So there's exactly. a balance somewhere in there. Thinking of a, you know, looking at it as a bell curve perspective, there's somewhere in the middle of that bell curve that you want to be. If you're yeah. on the extremes, you're probably not doing it right. Yep. No, hundred percent. And yeah, you, so you'll see. Guys. Yeah. So you mentioned that you're doing, uh, you're doing agile coaching. Is there anything yeah. else that you're doing of interest? Because it, oh yeah, I mean, like we could talk that coaching discussion for for hours oh, yeah. and days because I think. Yeah that's one of the things that uh, communities are lacking, right? Because I think so often you see people that are like, Oh, I'm here to help the community or I'm coaching in the community. And it's different from a athletic perspective. So like if I'm coaching a football team, the end state is to win games, right? If I'm a wide receivers coach, it's to make my receivers better. But when you talk coaching in general, just to humans, you know, what does that look like? and, and, And how do I make that work? Because it's different for every person, you know, so your coaching strategy would be different for me versus coaching a large organization. But, uh, you know, could you enlighten us a little bit more about like kind of yeah, and, coaching things that you do? Yeah. We've been doing this about 15 years and it's, I'll give you an example of what we started a training program for veterans at one of the companies I used to work at. And I love this program. It was awesome. So we do specifically, um, it agile coaching, right? So if you look at the history, like there's a ton of improvements through business there was total quality management then there was six sigma and there's so it's kind of sitting on the back of all of that it, it always kind of changes um but what this is is it started in the mid 90s with the agile manifesto they call it and a bunch of developers basically got together and said the way we develop stuff now is way too slow so in in industry now in it if it takes you nine months to get out a new product your competitors already have done it four months ago not six, you know? So it's kind of an incremental improvement process that we do. But what we would do is there's a couple of specialized terms. So if anybody's interested in this, go out, look it up. And, you know, they can always reach out to me too. Um, Rob, I'm happy to help any veteran getting out. But um, basically what it is, is you're training small, basically think of it as a squad, an army, right? Of IT folks. And you try to make them more more ability, a quicker ability to change and more efficient. And so there's a bunch of terms we use and one of them is a scrum master. So what we used to do with veterans, we looked for hard science or engineering backgrounds. I didn't care if you were computer science or, you know, electrical engineering or, you know, civil engineering, whatever. Um, If you had a little background in that, even if that wasn't your major and your math major physics, we could take you and kind of show you the logical parts because you have to understand the technology a little bit right but the second piece was just managing these teams it's it is hard to manage um you can't do a lot of football analogies <laughs> if you get some drift at. it's a very different group like you have a lot of foreign members you have a lot of kind of i don't know how to describe a more scholastically interested in computer science let's put it that way so a lot of them don't have a lot of leadership 
skills or experience, not skills, I'd say experience, right? So they get, they get promoted because of that. So what we would do is take these veterans, train them and get them certified in four or five different areas um, that were relevant. And then we would send them out subsidized by our company for, I think we did six to eight weeks at first. And then we would charge them and make, keep, keep these scrum masters, we call them. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply on the books and then they could transition to agile coaches. And that's what we do. And it, you know, you hear a lot of life coaches and that kind of stuff. Ours is very specific about basically transforming IT departments for large, small, medium companies, right? We go in and make them more resilient, more, more agile, if you were. Um, and it's, it's a very good for military guys getting out. It's very, I'd say it's 50% soft skill, if not more. And the other 50% is understanding technology and being interested in it. You know what I mean? And then learning a few skill sets that along the way. And it's it's been helpful, man. I've I've liked that for the last few years. Um, you know, and and that's what I've been doing day and you know, daily for a while. I've got other hobbies and stuff that we'll talk about, I'm sure, but yeah. and how I got into involved, what I'm doing now. But um that was a it's a great career for guys getting out of the military. Yeah, and guys think, and gals sorry <laughs> yeah i think it's i think it's rewarding too because it's one of the the best parts of of having a long career in the army and, and is yeah. is being able to look back on all those folks that i kind of helped along the way even if it was just like hey i wrote them a good ncor or let them yep. go to a school or something to that effect and watch them grow and so yep. you know i think i think being able to see that growth over time is is incredibly rewarding and unfortunately we have an entire society today that, you know, kind of gets uh, focused in on like 90 minute or 90 second clips. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's it doesn't like, value experience in my book. You know what I mean? Like the, I got, you know, I wasn't great at this when I first started, you know what I mean? But yeah. 15 years later, your experience really matters in industry right now. And that's thing. That's the one thing I think you can enhance getting out of the military in a career like this, you know, is, you are going to start from behind the eight ball a little bit when you get into industry. Cause if you think about it, I had guys complain to me, you know, fellow classmates and stuff that, Hey, when I got out, I was seven years behind. I was like, that's not really the way to look at it. It's how did you transition your skills? Yeah. And I think as a military, the one thing the military does teach you is patience, right? Tactical patience, because your experience eventually will pay off, but you can't expect it day one to be perfect at whatever you try when you get out. You know what I mean? So yeah just a lesson to kind of take home if you're getting out of the military. You're going to have to work hard for it. Yeah. Yeah. One of the other things that I, that I've even encountered is, you know, 
taken on an opportunity that like I really wasn't 100% passionate on. Yeah. And not finding your passion is probably the most important thing that you can do because yeah. if you, you know, hey, I just need money. Yeah. You can go you can go work at McDonald's and just make money. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's also it's also a little corrupting too, right? Like kids are coming out going, I'm going to do what I love doing. You're not going to in real life find a hobby if you what you do at work you don't like. You know what I mean? Not saying that that's possible, but sometimes you'll find it later. Yeah. So there's satisfaction. Yeah. Yeah. Baking in the the balance. Right. And that's really what it is. It's like, Hey, you know, if I have only so many hours in a day, you know, how many of them do I want to work? How many of them do I want to do leisure time activities or things that I enjoy doing? And how much of it is going to be tied to, you know, sleep, eat food, cut that part out and then see how many hours you have left in the day and kind of figure out what, kind of makes you tick because I think yep. a lot of folks a lot of folks are desperate to find out what that is but yeah. they get so wrapped up into finding that or they find something that they think is it and so they go all in and they yep. neglect a whole bunch of other things and like one of the advantages I tell people that separate a little bit early from the military is the advantage that you have is you were able to kind of find your identity a lot sooner than a transitioning service member so somebody that does yep. 25 or 30 years like they're going to be the guys that, uh, you know, they might adapt. They may not, yeah. you know, completely shake off the the whole military thing, and that's okay too. But, yeah. you know, the sooner you can find that balance, you know, and say, hey, look, I, I'm working this opportunity because I actually like it or you're passionate yep. about it is good. 100%. And, and, and I'll give you an example. Like, it is much harder for the guys that are retiring, I think, you know, because there's no safety net when you get out of six years. You know what I mean? It's like – Man, I got no insurance here. <laughs> like it's kind of you kind of get thrown from the you know frying pan in the fire, as it were, you know. And um, and I will say there are some interesting. Like my dad had an interesting career. Just as a side note, of getting out. Like my mom taught in all these diverse schools, you know, and not by you know diverse by U.S. standard. I mean, she was teaching in Pakistan and Bangladesh, and you know, then she was you know we were in Germany, and then you know she just he didn't realize the skills she had till like he was about to retire down in Florida and she ended up going around the country, like teaching teachers, you know what I mean? Wow. And she was really good at it. And my dad's like, man, I wish I knew she had this 10 years ago. You know what I mean? I would have gotten out early because their business started, you know, it went really well. She has some health problems now, so it's been kind of fine, but she, for about 10, 15 years, they had a great life of just, you know, figuring out the cards you're dealt, you know? I think sometimes you get blinders on and don't notice it. Yeah. So it's, it's something to think about when you get out, your wife's been working somewhere (laughs) for the entire time. Yeah. Yeah. When you look at, when you look at all the, uh, yeah, when you look at all the, uh, the opportunities and the things that your spouse has done. And that's one of the difficult things that a lot of people don't understand is like, Hey, look, like my wife has mad skills on her resume yeah, but some of them weren't in the office, you know, because she yeah. was doing FRG stuff or volunteer opportunities yeah. or all these other crazy things that were super super flexible to kind of support my career. And yeah. now she has the opportunity to kind of spread her wings and do more along lines 100%. of what she's, she's wanted to do. But yeah. again, that's a that's part of it as well. Is like again striking that balance because if I would have said nope. I'm going to go work for khaki or go work for yep. blues and 
be an yeah. FSR and deploy. Guess what? Yeah. Like, I probably Love wouldn't that. be married right now, or my wife would be stabbing <laughs> me in the face every time I came home after a six month deployment. A hundred percent. There's so an interesting. I don't know if you guys have heard heard of it, Rob, but there's a. I ran into. I started a new business, which we'll talk about. But I ran into just veterans that are you know entrepreneurs, and one of the ones I found was called Spousely. It's this website, basically, kind of. I don't know how to. I don't want to do it. I'm not advertising for him, but the lady who runs it's a military spouse, the CEO of it, and she's great. And they they basically make an opportunities for spouses, like either it's kind of an Etsy type thing. Yeah. Um, but I, they've they've been run really well. But it, it's kind of interesting looking at what your spouse is doing too. You know. So. Yeah. And I think it's just it's, one of those things that sometimes we just forget. Yeah. Because you know? again, like. Yeah. It, Serving is sometimes a selfish act, and we don't yeah. realize that. You, you know, we say it's selfless service, yes, but it's usually selfless towards the people whom you serve and not the people oh, yeah. you live with. Well, my daughter just went in the reserves, and I always would hear from guys like, uh, and she's not deployed or anything, right? But she just got done with AIT, and I find it interesting. Like, I've heard from other parents in the past, you know, it's it's easier for you to get deployed than one of your kids. And I can kind of see that now. You know what I mean? It's like, man, that would suck. You know, like when it's you, you're like, Oh, it's just me. They get, you know, hurt or, you know, (laughs) or worse. But when it's your kid, you're like, man, that is kind of messed up. You know, like, and I think, and again, it's all, it's all about perspective. It really is. But we are about 30 minutes. But one of the things that I do want to talk about before we jump off the air is let's yeah. talk about your new business. Cause I'm oh, yeah. talking about it with other people, <laughs> you know, and I've been, I've been dropping some breadcrumbs out there just to different folks, just to, to kind of yeah. inform them since we talked, but uh, tell us about Byron. Yeah. yeah. We, uh, so what I've done since I got out, which I think is another thing veterans can do a lot is I volunteered when I moved here to Richmond, Virginia, I went to our little, it, we're in a suburb of Richmond, kind of, and um, I went and volunteered, right, with the Chamber of Commerce, and they were confused, like, why would you, but it helped, like, get me community, um, and then the second piece I did is, I got, I bought a farm about seven, eight years ago, so it was kind of a hobby farmist, you know, or hobby farmer, you know, rancher, and um, love my tractor, man, I love it, it's, it's my, it's, it's better than a stress ball, man, you just go out there and grind up stuff, whatever, you know, <laughs> it's, it's been fun, but I, I volunteered with a co-op that did uh, live farm animal auctions. So they, they didn't do heavy cattle or horses, but they would do smaller sheep, goats, hogs, like small calves, like new calves they'd sell. And so I, I helped them for a year, almost two and a half years, I guess, somewhere around there. And they were aging out. Sadly in America, I think almost all volunteer um, organizations are struggling, man. I mean, they just, they just are because, you know, I don't know what it is, but when you volunteer, you're, you're like the only one, you know what I mean? It's like, it seems like almost every volunteer organization I joined, I joined a bunch when I got here. Right. Yeah. And so after doing that, I started noticing, like, I was trying to buy the rights that make it a private a for profit Yeah. and ended up not working out with the business partners that they had chosen um there's a lot of meat industry guys and i just didn't want to get involved so i started looking and i said man you know i've been working with it talent for years and i i called up i i talked with one of my best uh he's an indian guy greatest you know architect i've used like in designing you know websites and everything a huge company so we partnered and um we got together we set up buyer barn 
which honestly, I love it, man. It's been, um, it's a, it's an online farm animal auction. So we're actually offering right now, we're kind of at the stage of, we just launched. And so we're trying to get more folks listing on there. So we're any, any uh, veteran that interested in farming or ranching, reach out to me because I love talking about it anyway, but we're actually doing a, a free listing for all our military. Um, and just go to buyerbarn.com, look at our news section. It has information on how to get it. Uh, and that's B-Y-R-E-B-A-R-N. Um, but um, we're, we're listing animals for free for veterans, the first three. Like we're paying all the fees, everything, the credit card fees, everything, um, just to get them on there. And we're trying to help out. We're actually partnering with a couple of 501c3s. We don't have ink to paper yet, so we're working on that right now. Yeah. Um, but we're trying to get veterans interested in it. I think it's just some passion I've had for a while. I mean, I'll give you an example. If you want to buy I always kind of joke that probably the second oldest profession is trading farm animals in human history. And yet all social media platforms won't let you use it. So I started this company because I went to look for Kiko goats, which is a breed. I have goats mainly on my meat goats on my farm. And we couldn't, you cannot list them anywhere. I mean, you can't list, you can't say animal for sale or anything. Um, any animal like and so i can understand trying to fight puppy mills which all these silicon valley companies are trying to fight but you know with farm animals they're made to be sold you know for the most part and we're trying to make it easier so we uh we list them all on there and we we found a lot of issues with with the current um you know cut me off if you need to go to time but uh you know they the um the you know that there's a lot of issues with how physical auctions go right now so if you look at an animal and most people honestly rob most people in america have no idea where their where their meat comes from man or how how to raise animals and you know i think if you want to piss off farmers and ranchers just bring up that bloomberg interview when he (laughs) it still goes around on twitter i follow a bunch of these guys on twitter and oh my god every once in a while bloomberg will come up and they just hate him you know because he said you know how hard is farming just put a seed in the ground yeah? yeah and it's like i it's it's a joy to me, and I'm sure most veterans aren't interested in it. A lot of them, you know, like the city living, but the the few of us out here that do, um, it's it's amazing. It's problem solving every day. It's kind of like I, I liken a lot to the army life. You do some paperwork in the house, then you go outside and you know work in the motor pool six hours. You know, it's yeah. the same thing. You're trying to build stables. You're trying to fix stables. Animals will wreck the fence, or so you're doing stuff every day, but. What I found is we're we're trying to get farm to farm sales, yeah, and farm to consumer sales if they if they want to buy them straight from the farm. But the um, there's a lot of health issues in traditional. So if you look at how a, a traditional um, auction works, they'll take animals from say 60, 70 farms and then they pen them all together. Yeah, and so you end up with a lot of pregnancy and stress issues and. We're, the average auction takes an animal off a farm about 11 hours and transports it halfway across the state. You know what I mean? So there's a lot of issues with that. There are also a lot of issues with fraud. A lot of them only take check and, and uh, cash and checks. And you're like, come on, man. Like, yeah. what are we doing here? You know, so we're trying to get true pricing for buyers and sellers. That's better than, you know, market rates, because I liken it to, you know, if you're going to a local farm auction, it's like putting uh it's like having a garage sale right yeah. and people ask me why would i pay the why would i pay the percentage to you guys i mean we charge five percent 
um, for, to keep the lights on, you know? And I said, look, would you rather sell, you know, you, would you rather sell something at a, at a yard sale or on eBay? What are you going to get a better price? You know? Yeah. So we're trying sure. to open it up for small farmers and, you know, we're dedicated to small farmers, especially veterans seeing it's my background. Um, and we're out here trying to just, just help them out, man. I mean, it's, it's, it's rough on small farms. If you look at the inflation numbers right now, yeah. you know, everybody's complaining about gas prices, but diesel, if you ever look at that, farmers use diesel 10 times as much. And if you have a large farm, these guys are struggling, man. And, and when petroleum goes up, so do, so does fertilizer, so does feed, so does everything else, which feeds into that system. So yeah. we're, we're trying to do what we can to help. And if, you know, we can get more veterans in farming. I think it'd be a great, I think it'd be a great, you know, thing for this country anyway. You know, I mean, small farming's getting harder and harder to do every day. We're trying to help them out. Yeah. Yeah. That's if that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And so I'm going to, I'm going to do a shameless plug for another podcast because, uh, yeah. you know, uh, we are fortunate enough to have a partnership with Ask for Football and Buyer Barn. It's pending. Yeah but we will do a, a much larger and wider announcement here in a couple of weeks. Yep. But uh, look for that folks. Uh, Dan, this has been awesome. Again, like, cool. like we said before we started recording, we could probably talk for another oh, two yeah. to three hours because we I'm don't, sure. we, we don't really get to talk to each other enough. And, and one of the things that I will tell you, you know, is uh, from the common experience of, of West Point and service and a lot of the other things that are going on in the world. Like when, when there are certain people in your life, that are your friends and when you see them again you pick up where you left off like there was nothing exactly like no time or no distance or anything in between you and, and dan you were one of those folks so i well, really thanks, appreciate man. you really appreciate you coming on the show giving us a little bit of your time uh yep. talking about your transition story talking about agile coaching and then talking about your new endeavor at buyer barn i think all those things are super super compelling we will put all that stuff in the podcast description so if you have any questions you can reach out to Dan. You can reach out to me. Definitely looking forward to, to having further conversations and uh, see what you're doing. I mean, this has been super, super awesome. And uh, okay. Dan, I'll give you the last word. Was there any book that was of interest that you read during your transition or something that you have just found helpful as far as in your day-to-day to kind of keep you on track? Man, working that was one of the hardest questions when we were, when I was thinking about this because – Man, I read so many books. I, I think the best thing you can do, I read biographies like crazy. But I started thinking that there's a couple that are and it's actually one that I always found intriguing. And I don't I don't really the guy gets into a little bit of political stuff that I really wasn't a big fan of, but I've been a kind of a fan of, of demographics. And so there's one called The Age Curve by uh, Kenneth Gronbach, I think Gronbach. It, and it's it's aged a little now, but it's very interesting on how demographics affect business. And so um, he does an analysis on why like cell phone technology took off and, you know, versus like motorcycles and car. Like if you see cars now, muscle cars aren't selling as much as they used to. Right. Even though yeah. we loved them as kids. But what's selling now is it, he does a real interesting analysis of demographics. I would recommend people go out and read. Um, it's been a, you know, I read it years ago, but it was one that kind of opened my eyes on how stuff's happening. And it, it'll help you too with just in general where, where the U S is heading and that kind of stuff based on, you know, the demographics of when, what age kids are and what generation they are, which, and it, and it helps in business, which is kind of surprising. 
his uh, consulting was on how to get businesses to kind of recognize those trends and demographics. So yeah. I thought that was kind of interesting, but yeah, that's, that's one I love, man. So it's, uh, well, that's a great recommendation. And I think that's one of the important things to understand that because generationally there are huge differences, right? Oh, yeah. Regardless of yeah. whether it's in business, whether it's in the military, whether it's yep. in how you ingest your information, right? It's yeah. different. And the, and the other life. thing, Everybody knows, I think a lot of people know that some of it instinctively, but he talks about sizes of generations too, which I never considered. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. you know, our generation is much smaller than the baby boomers. You know what I mean? And, true, you, yeah. and you never hear anything about us, right? Because it's not business is looking, and the generation after us, what was it, X or whatever it was, uh, is huge. It's almost as big as the baby boomers, which is interesting too in itself. Yeah. It's like, yeah. man. So it, it's, it's interesting how that affects how your business is going to run. And like I said, the book's a little dated probably now. I read it probably 10, 15 years ago, yeah. but the, the principles are the same. I thought it was kind of interesting. Just yeah. a real weird one. Well, that's one of the ways that business works though, right? Like yeah. even though, even though there are evolutions and, and again, you can have a whole discussion about yeah. evolution versus revolution, right? Evolution yeah. happen. That's going to happen. Yeah. And that's like the natural progression of the next thing, but then yeah. the revolution happens. So you oh, know, yeah. when the telephone came in and you think about it, the cell phone yeah. is just an evolution of the telephone. Yeah. But when and the telephone came in as an invention, yeah. it was yeah. a revolution because it increased the way that people were able to communicate. Oh yeah. hundred percent. And the one, the one other thing I will say, Rob, I, I I always open my advanced engineering mathematics book to remind me to humble myself from West Point. <laughs> it's one of the classes I did not do well in. So I'll open yeah. it to a random page, and it keeps you humble, man. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, that, reminds me, that reminds me a couple of weeks ago, my mom actually sent me a picture of my uh, TI-85 calculator. That <laughs> she was like, yeah, I was trying to close the drawer in the kitchen, and it wouldn't close. So I pulled the drawer out, and there's calculator was in it. It's like, oh. It's like, does it still work? And she's like, yep. It's like, wow. Yeah, I like, found it. My my daughter used it. Honestly, I found mine. It, it kind of lasts about a year. I don't know. She probably destroyed it. But they needed that for their tests here in Virginia because they can't have anything that's like Wi-Fi connected. Or, yeah. You know, so oh, it was wow. like the TI-85 was still like, I was like, oh, my God. I mean, it's a little better than the newer one she bought. Yeah. But I was like, good Lord, it's the same thing we were using. Like, yeah, that, it looks like it. <laughs> it looks yeah, like a pong screen on it. Yeah, that, that's frightening. But <laughs> but again, that's just one of those things, and, and that's that's just part of culture and generations. And sometimes what is right. old is new again, you know. And, and it goes back oh, yeah. to what we were talking about with uh, you know just military industrial complex and and the state of warfare. Oh, know, yeah. And that's this much longer discussion for another show. Oh, yeah. But yeah. Uh, really appreciate you coming on today. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah, this has been great. Uh, I'm Rob Robinson with Philosophy from the Frontline, and we'll see you guys on the high ground. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Philosophy from the Frontline with Rob Robinson. We will bring you more interesting veteran transition stories, veteran advocacy, and more information and veterans transition in general on a podcast platform near you. This is Philosophy from the Frontline, and we'll see you on the high ground. Thanks.
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at Chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's Chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.